The Center for Medical Simulation presents Welcome to Sim Fails and other conversations on the Sim Sofa. You're here with Marcus Raul from Germany, Kirsty Freeman all the way on the other side of the world in Australia, and Janice Pelaganis right here. <laughs> Boston, USA. Right here in your lounge room. Isn't that lovely? On your sofa. How are both of you? I'm doing really good. Really good. So listen, I have been in a faculty development uh, workshop all day. And one of the things that came up that I thought we could have a bit of a chat about today, if that's okay, is using simulation and assessment. And I found myself as I was going through speaking with these uh, really keen and eager uh, simulationists and future simulationists, we were talking about the use of simulated patients or standardised patients, however people would like to term them, in assessment and how we go about preparing them. And I found myself as I was giving the theoretical PowerPoint as we do at the beginning, giving some scaffolding to my learning, um, I sort of reflected back on some incidences over the years where, gosh, I haven't practiced what I was preaching. And I think back about some of the uh, assessment type scenarios that I've been involved in and how I really poorly prepared my standardized patients. I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but I just thought, oh yeah. my goodness, how I derailed it. Well, I have <laughs> definitely, I've definitely had failures with high stakes assessment, um, not with standardized patients, but in general. And I think assessment is something that we, we really have to talk about um, in this field because I've been seeing it done kind of willy-nilly. I've been seeing it done without some of the considerations from people who do use it and have learned from it. Yeah. So I think it's an important topic. So yeah, my issue that I was thinking about today as I was working with this group was really this concept about how do we prepare our volunteers, community members, however you recruit your simulated SP standardized patients to um, work with you in ensuring a really rigorous high stakes assessment. And I really reflected on my own previous training when I have played the role of an SP in various uh, high stakes assessment. And I'm really not sure all the time that my performance was standardized. And I try to reflect on, you know, what was it that could be improved to help me um, as I work as the standardised patient in the scenario, what sort of training would have made it easier for me to ensure that each time a learner or the person that was about to be assessed, the assessee come into the room, how I could benefit and hone my skills so that I could be more standardised in my approach so that all the other examiners had faith in my performance. And I'm just wondering if there are other ways in which we can really or how we go about doing it. I've read some literature and I bring people in and I orientate them, I show them a video, ask them if they've got any questions. But um, I probably missed the gap uh, in terms of getting them to practice and giving them feedback on their performance before I let them loose. Well, I don't know. It sounds like you're doing something, whereas other 
places aren't doing anything. And, and I feel like standardized patients, by the way, the field of standardized patients is just far ahead of standardization and creating standard experiences than the mannequin world. And um, I just remember when uh, I was part of a standardized patient program, they would, um, when they did their training, they would take two videos up at the same time and play them at the same time to make sure both SPs are acting the same tone, doing the same things at the same time. Wow. Um, and it's really standardized. Whereas if you think of the mannequin world, we just go to someone, someone in the break room and we're like, hey, can you play a nurse? It's a new nurse. She doesn't know where anything is. So it's fine. Can you just come in? We just need you to you know, help out with the equipment in the room. Well, that experience is very different than having a sim tech or specialist in there acting in the role that knows where everything is. I mean, so we don't have standard experiences in the mannequin world for the most part, unless it's research, because then yeah, you're forced to do it and you learn so much from actually standardizing. And in the SP world, I remember, you know, back in the day, that was like 10 years ago, there was a number. It was like a random number, just like all all educational numbers, <laughs> where they said in a standardized patient world, if you run it six times, that's standardizing. But typically by running it six times, you've figured out what the problems are and how to train better. And so I don't know, that's an interesting number because it works for me too with, with mannequins. It's also uh, interesting to, to see in the assessment situation, do you have the standardized patient also as someone who is assessing the candidates or is that only up to you? See, I think that's interesting too, because they don't, we don't do that in the mannequin world. At, well, some, some people invite the standardized patients or standard, standardized providers into the debriefing but we don't train them on how to give feedback. Whereas in the standardized patient world, that's a big part of the process. Mm -hmm. You have, you train the patients to give feedback and to say, I don't know the answer to that. That's a question for your professor or clinical instructor. Um, so deferring questions and we don't do that kind of training in the mannequin world. Yeah, certainly Marcus, in response to that, some of the, the assessment scenarios that I've been involved in uh, the there is an examiner uh, present, the content expert, yeah. and at the end when the participant has left the room and they're finalising the assessment form, um, that they will refer to the uh, SP and ask them for either a global rating scale in terms of empathy or aspects that they would be able to contribute to um, that uh, that the examiner. But might without the participant. Up. Yes, correct. That is made without the participant. Yeah. In the sort of, uh, okay. um, you know, the assessment that I've got in mind at the moment, yes. So the SP is not giving feedback to the, in the assessment Not, not in yeah. some of the scenarios that I'm working at, but I've certainly uh, come yeah. across various opportunities where the SPs can give direct feedback um, to yeah. the participant. But one of the things that was really messing with my brain that I hadn't thought about, and I certainly have seen it in some of the uh, texts written by Deborah Nestel and her colleagues around SPs, is the standardization of dress. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I haven't given a lot of thought to. So you can imagine that you might have four stations uh, set up that um, participants are going to go through, and each station is identical, but there are four different SPs in the room trying to perform that same case. Simple things like dress we know make a big difference 
Um, like by dress, do you mean like what they're wearing? Yes, the clothes that they're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a dress, wow, it maybe a skirt, it maybe pants. But it got me thinking about really looking at what aspects are we standardizing? I'd been so focused on standardizing the words that were coming out of the mouth of the SP. Uh, and maybe some of their mannerisms, but I hadn't really given much thought about the standardization of physical appearance, such as dress, because, you know, um, I think that can make a difference as to how the learner engages, um, depending on what the scenario is. Yeah, I, I think all factors are playing a role as, as uh, clinicians uh, make uh, decisions. We have a lot of information pieces coming in and out and i'm sure that all aspects play a role and we never know how complex decision making works out and and what factors are influencing the final kind of uh, decision made from 25 information channels <laughs> so my failure in assessment is completely different so i'm liking this because you're talking about failures in setting up assessment in terms of how it presents to the learners and um and and our or the failure that i'd like to speak about is something that we discovered during um, the national league for nursing study on high stakes assessment it was a proof of concept study to see can you use simulation to say whether or not a nursing student graduates from a program and so it was a multi-site study and we saw a lot of what you're saying, Kirsty, like the um, dress, if you will, of the mannequin environment looks very different from each of the sites. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the main failure that we saw is something that I think relates a lot to debriefing, why we even have debriefing, which is you can't observe what a learner is thinking. And so, for example, did they uh, recognize the um, differential diagnoses of the labs that they received. You can't see that they, if they actually analyzed it or if they understood that yeah. it was, they were, the labs were indicative of some sort of differential diagnoses. And so um, what we did learn from that study was you have, if you are going to be using simulation for assessment, you have to build in at the end some sort of transfer off of report. Um, where the person that they're is that's receiving the report will say, um, "Did you see the labs? Uh, what what does that mean?" And then see what they're thinking in that because you know usually assessment simulations don't have a processing debriefing component afterwards. So that's one thing we learned and uh, learned after after six times of running. <laughs> There's that magic number again. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think we forget the importance um, of and the difference that we have as uh, simulationists in preparing simulation opportunities for learning and simulation opportunities for assessment. Uh, and you can't just assume that because you're good at one, you're going to be good at the other. Certainly, I know that when mm. I want to plan something for assessment. I need to go to my assessment colleagues because uh, there are people that specialize in that, like I specialize in simulation. So I really need to tap in um, to their knowledge, skills and experience to work out with them. How do I make sure that what I'm designing is valid, reliable 
so that you can hang your hat yeah. on that as an assessment. Because um, there's skills that, you know, that's, that's not my specialty area. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, we should use more professionals in, <laughs> you know, because we, you cannot be expert in everything, in every aspect. And, and uh, as you say, assessment is a big topic. Yeah. And, and also sometimes I thought when we assess people and we do not give them a debriefing, it's, it sometimes appears almost like cruel when they walk out the room and they were just assessed. It almost, almost sometimes feels like misused them because you know they had this experience of simulation mm -hmm. and and they make their thoughts but then they are just you know you tell them okay thank you very much you will get your mark in a few minutes and then go home <laughs> mm -hmm. so consider putting you know after doing the assessment still having a debriefing if it's a realistic simulation which kind of exposes people to emotions and, and engagement immersion we probably shouldn't let them go just like this <laughs> Yeah, what do you I think? Like that. I think that's such a great idea, Marcus. We don't do that. And I think I think that's, you know, I, I could imagine the faculty saying, oh, but we don't want to give an indication if they if they passed or failed. You don't need to spend time talking about that. It could just be listening. It could be processing something aside from the assessment. I really love the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, it's it's it depends on on how you're running it, you know, the assessment components and uh, and how much detailed feedback or um, you can give the participant on their performance. Because certainly, you know, a lot of uh, large institutions that have high numbers, it can be really difficult as we move people through various stages of um, assessment stations um, for them to get any feedback, a meaningful feedback on uh, their performance, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. So I, I, I agree, and I think when people do assessment, they just have to be really thoughtful about it and really hear about how other people do it or have done it. I think it's great for people in the mannequin world to uh, look into what is done in the OSCE world. Even the training guides in itself is a learning experience. I mean, the standardization of when someone touches here or asks this, this is what you say. I mean, they go through an entire memorization and dry run process before launching them into a simulation. So thanks for the topic, Kirstie. I think this has been really great. And I hope our listeners can uh, learn something from this and learn from our failures. And I really hope yeah. people will continue to share their experiences with using simulation and assessment. Maybe give us a little shout out at hashtags simfails so that others can learn from your experiences too. Sim fails and other conversations from the simulation sofa is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more at harvardmedsim.org.